All right, today we're uh, talking about the God who gave his life away. Um, I love it when people get passionate about stuff. I, I just love passion. It, it's great. I mean, it's, no one wants to say, um, I enjoy, you know, doing something, but, you know, they look like they could care less, right? I mean, you, you know that kind of person. And so I, I love when people are passionate about stuff. I went to my caucus on Tuesday night, and uh, it was a— Talk about people being passionate. I mean, if you go to a caucus, you know, the, one of the cool things about a caucus is, is a representative for every candidate gets to give up and give a three-minute little speech on why they think their uh, candidate should, should be the one that you nominate. And so, uh, the one that you vote for. And, and so, it was really interesting. The room was packed with people, and uh, the different candidates got up, or can, some candidates were there, some uh, representatives. And we came uh, to Michelle Bachman. And Michelle Bachman did not have a representative there at my caucus. And so the leader of the caucus gets up and takes a microphone and he goes, Michelle Bachman does not have someone here appointed to speak on her behalf. I will let whoever wants to speak on her behalf speak. You have three minutes. First hand I see gets to speak for Michelle Bachman. Boom, this hand goes right up over here. The guy gives him the mic. This guy comes up here and he goes, well, um, you all know Michelle Bachman and um, she's, served a couple times in Congress, and I think she's done a nice job. What I really want to talk about today is why I hate Ron Paul. (laughs) The guy spent the next three minutes railing on Ron Paul, right after the guy who spoke for Ron Paul had finished up, right? I think the guy was like, rebuttal, I want a rebuttal. And he ends his time thinking, so in the end, I'd like to say that It'd probably be nice if you voted for Michelle Bachman, but anybody is better than Ron Paul. Thank you. (laughs) And everyone just cracked up laughing. Uh, There's a guy that's passionate about who he doesn't want in the Oval Office. Uh, You know, I kind of liked the passion there. I mean, what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about the NFL? Maybe you're passionate about the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I just look at Thomas over here. Right? What are you passionate about? Are you passionate about the? Are you passionate about baseball? I mean, we're passionate about sports, right? I'm a passionate Cubs fan, eagerly awaiting that sometime in the next hundred years we'll get a title. You know, a World Series championship. You know, what are you passionate about? People are passionate about different things. Some of you are passionate about shopping. I've seen you in the mall. I know you. You have a passion to shop. It's just in there. What are you passionate about? As believers in Christ, we should be passionate about the things God is passionate. We should be passionate about the things he is passionate. Last week, Thomas hit a home run when he preached uh, out of Psalm 37.4. Delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And Thomas reminded us, do we really delight in the things that God delights in? Are the desires of our hearts really the things that are the desires of God's heart? Do I love, I mean, I found myself sitting there asking, do I love the things that God loves? Do I really? Do I value the things that God values? Am I passionate about the things God is passionate? Does that describe me? It left us, and Thomas did a great job. What is God passionate about? You know, God's passionate about first and foremost his own glory. There is no being greater in the universe than God for whom he should be passionate about their glory. It's right and good that God is passionate about his own glory. But God is also passionate 
about giving his life away. God is passionate about giving his life away. Last week, Thomas uh, said, if there's one thing I want you to remember from this message, uh, and then he said it, delight in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. So I I emailed him this week. What was that one thing that you told us to remember again? (laughs) He goes, I have failed. That's what he he emailed me back. No, Thomas, it's okay. You didn't fail. Here's the one thing I want you to remember today. God is passionate about giving his life away. This is a new series we're in. We're just starting today. It'll be today and a six-week series. At the State of the Church Address uh, last fall, we talked about the need for Waukee Community Church to press forward in this area of service. We talk about the blossom, believe, love, obey, serve, multiply. The blossom is important to who we are. It describes what a disciple is. And when we get to S, we get to service, we remember. We want to kind of focus on that this year. And so 2012 has come around, the new year's here, and so it's time for us to begin. This six-week series is going to set the foundation for us to serve and to really give our lives away. The result, hopefully, won't be a bunch of new, really cool programs at Waukee Community Church. The result will be a bunch of people who are passionate about giving their lives away. You know, I, I take an opportunity to remind you often that at Waukee Community Church, we're not, a, we're, we're not a program-driven church. We're a missional church. The point of Waukee Community Church is not to bring an amazing show up here with an amazing smoke machine and lights and a disco ball and put on a great performance. We did add a stage today, okay, and the worship team hated it, um, but I like it because we can see them, and so that's just me. Uh, it's just function. And, and so, uh, but the object is not to put on a bunch of programs. The object is to send you out. The missional church doesn't attract, it sends. We send you out, we equip you and send you to go be Jesus. And so as you go, serve. That's the point of this sermon series. We go and we serve because God is passionate about giving his life away. And this is how it relates to the blossom. Each letter in the blossom is integral in following Jesus. It's part of how we know that we're acting like disciples. We believe, we love, we obey, we serve, we multiply. That's how we know. It's kind of a barometer for us. However, God is also represented in each letter of the blossom. If you think about this, the blossom describes God. B, believe. God believes and has faith not in us but in himself. Because there is no one greater in whom he should have faith. And by the way, the corollary of the blossom is not for us. If God has faith in himself, we should have faith in ourselves, right? That's right. Someone might think, oh, God believes in himself. We just have to believe in ourself and, and, and think positively about ourselves, And all will be better and it'll be great. We have to smile a lot. And then you'll smile and make other people smile. And the whole world will be smiling and it'll be a great place. The point that God believes in himself does not translate to that we should believe in ourselves. It translates to that we should believe in God too. He's our faith, not ourselves. God believes in himself. But he also loves. Love is the essence of God's nature. We love others. We love God because God first loved us. It's who he is. Obedience. Is God obedient? I think you can see a kind of an interesting picture of this in the Trinity. In the Trinity, you have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one Godhead. 
the Spirit willingly submits to the Son. The Son willingly submits to the Father. There's this beautiful picture of sacrifice and mutual submission among the Godhead. God himself understands that idea of willing submission. So God is, in a sense, obedient. And then if we skip to the end, multiply, we see that God's desire is to reproduce himself in us. And not as an Eastern, you know, religion, be one with everything. But God desires for us to be holy like he is. He desires all men to be saved. It's, it's in who he is. And so we skipped S and we come back to it. God is even found in service. Today we're talking about this S. God desires to serve those he created. That's kind of a shocking statement when you think about it. In our culture, the word serve doesn't usually mean give your life away. That's what God means by serve. But in our culture, that's not what most people mean by serve. I mean, it's caucus time, right? We're all sick and tired of our phones ringing and grateful that they're not ringing anymore. But the phones rang, you answered, and if you listened long enough, sure, you found one of the candidates would say, it's my great desire if you elect me to serve you and the people of this great country. What do they mean by serve? They mean lead. That's what they mean, to lead you. Or we think of, so that's kind of how typically we think of the word serve. Or we, or we think of the word serve in terms of a restaurant. You go to a restaurant and you get service from a waiter. Service from a, a server. That's what they're called, right? You get service from them. A server does our bidding, but it's an exchange for a tip for money. Really interesting. I went out to dinner Thursday night and we're sitting there and after the meal, I'd signed the bill and, and given it to the waiter. And then he came back later on and we were just chatting with him a little bit. And, and the question comes, how's business? And he proceeds to go, business is great, but tipping stinks. <laughs> and he goes off for about five minutes on how nobody tips him and they don't understand that he makes $4 an hour and, and they tip him a measly 15% when he's worth so much more than that. And if he doesn't get enough tips, the restaurant treats him terrible and it just reminded me, this guy's serving us and he's in it for the money, right? I mean, it's a job. We think of service in terms of that. Even on an old English estate where a, a, a wealthy person who was high up in, in the uh, echelon of, of social culture, someone who had an estate and servants, even his servants served him out of the need for a place to live and food to eat or clothing or a meager salary. We think of service in terms of leadership or serving a table or earning money. When God thinks about service, he thinks about giving his life away. That's how God thinks about service. And God correctly defines service. And he isn't just defining service. He is passionate about it. God is passionate about, about giving his life away. He's passionate about it. And this has always been so. Today I want to think through history a little bit and think through how God has always been passionate about giving his life away. The first place we see this is before the creation of the universe. Before the creation of the universe, we can see that God has been passionate about giving his life away. God in his infinite knowledge knew that people would fall. He knew that in, in, in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve would sin. 
that they would fall. He knew the fall would happen. He knew that all humanity would sin and need redemption. Before he created anybody, before he created a star in the heavens, before he created, spoke anything and spoke it into being, God knew that people would fall. And he knew that we would need redemption. And he knew before he created anything, before he created time, he knew that he would give his life for us. He knew he would become one of us. He knew he would die. God's determination to give his life away culminates in Jesus. And that, that started before anything existed other than God. It's always been a passion of God's to give his life away. I think it can aptly be argued that sacrificial sacrifice could be one of God's attributes. And if you think about it, you know, just like God is holy, that's an attribute of God. God is sovereign. God is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's in those same way, he's sacrificial. And we can see this because it stems out of some of his attributes like grace and mercy. The Old Testament talks repeatedly about God's hesed love. Hesed is the Hebrew word. His hesed love. It's loving kindness. It's patience. It's long-suffering. It's commitment to relationship. God's hesed love. Grace and mercy are causative attributes for a sacrificial life. It's those things, his hesed love, that results in his sacrifice. That's why God is passionate about giving his life away. He knew this before the creation of the universe. He was like this. The second thing that you can see as we look through history is God was passionate about giving his life away before the creation of the universe. But also, secondly, we see that he was, he was uh, passionate about giving his life away at the beginning of history. He's passionate about giving his life away at the beginning of history. Genesis chapter 3 is such an interesting chapter. Theologians call it the Proto-Evangelium. <laughs> I just want to throw that there and make me look smart today. Um, Proto-Evangelium. It's a big word. means first gospel. And we can see that in Genesis chapter 3. It's pretty cool. We see God's plan and desire in Genesis chapter 3. So immediately after the fall, immediately after Adam and Eve sinned, Adam willingly fell into sin. He willingly disobeyed God. Immediately after that, sin enters the world. And Adam and Eve are ashamed. And they hide. Remember, they become aware of their nakedness. And so they grab fig leaves and put them on, you know. <laughs> They're aware. They fall. God, in his gracious mercy, says, uh, I have something a little warmer for you. And he, he takes an animal. He takes an animal skin and clothes them. It's interesting, it's the, really the first reference in Scripture to an animal sacrifice, is that God sacrifices an animal. God would keep sacrificing humanity until eventually he would give his own life away. And in Genesis chapter 3, 15, this is the first gospel. Right after the fall, God is issuing the results of their sin. Here's the curses. This is what happens. You all have done this with your children if you have children, right? <laughs> the disobedience results in curses, consequences. And here they are. And in, in he's talking directly to the serpent, who we see is represented Satan. And, and he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. You will strike his heel. It's such an odd, it's such an odd curse. Stuck right there in Genesis in the midst. I mean, 
Eve gets cursed, and Adam gets curses, and, and the serpent gets these curses. It's, such, it's so odd. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And even here, in, the, in Genesis chapter 3, you see this reference, this picture of Jesus. You see, her offspring that he's referring to will be Jesus. Satan would strike his heel, and we know on the cross, Satan thought he had a victory. But Jesus had ultimate victory through the resurrection over Satan. It's the first reference to the gospel. Right away in, in the story, God's story, the Bible, God is telling us of Jesus. Satan will strike the heel of Jesus. On the cross, Satan thought he won. Jesus rose and proved that he had the victory. God planned to give his life away in Jesus from the beginning of the story. The Bible is like a good movie plot. It is. I love the movies where there's the twist at the end. You're watching the movie, and at the end, you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Where did that come from? Oh, man, I want to go watch the movie again so I can see it. That, that was going all the way along, like the sixth sense. You know, I see dead people. and Like at the end, oh, he's dead. Oh, man, I missed it. The whole movie. Or some of you Planet of the Apes fans, you know, the Statue of Liberty, you're like, Oh, they're on earth. No way. Or, uh, you know, Soylent Green is people. Right? <laughs> I think you must be, have to be over a certain age to know what Soylent Green is people even means. I mean, I'm kind of shocked that I know it. But yes, Soylent Green is people. You can ask someone who has gray hair what Soylent Green is afterwards, I guess. Old people reference number one today. Okay. Um, you know, it's like a good movie. I, I think it's like uh, when... When the two disciples were on the road to Emmaus after Jesus had risen from the dead, and they're walking with this stranger who they don't recognize him as Jesus, and, and Jesus is telling them about the whole story of the Bible and how that relates to the Messiah and to Jesus. And, they're, and I think they're going, oh, wow, I never saw it that way before. And then at the end, they, as he's leaving, they figure out, whoa, that was Jesus. Wasn't it? My ears were burning. I should have known. I mean, the, God, the whole story of the Bible is like that. When we look back and we read the Old Testament through the light of the gospel, we go, oh, yes, I see Jesus everywhere through the entire story. God has always been passionate about giving his life away. He's always been. It's one of God's passions to give his life away. And we see that this passion to give his life away culminates in Jesus. That's the third point. He culminates in Jesus. The culmination of God's passion in giving his life away is Jesus. So we're, we're in Mark chapter 10. I kinda, it's more of a topical sermon today, but I kind of wanted to land in Mark chapter 10 because I think it describes aptly Jesus and his own passion to give his life away. In Mark chapter 10, um, Jesus had just predicted his death. And so you'd think the disciples would be maybe upset or that, but instead, no, 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 John, James and John come to Jesus after Jesus had just predicted his death. And they go, yeah, Jesus, we didn't really understand that whole thing, but here's what we want. We'd like to be number one and number two in your kingdom someday. So I, I, we don't really care. One of us, number one, one of us, number two. You know, I'd like to be the vice president. He can be the secretary of state, just like Joe and Hillary, right? Uh, that's how we can do this. And so Jesus, just do that, would you? Um, and rightfully so, the other 10 disciples are, are sitting there, and they're ticked off. Like, whoa, 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 why do you get to be number one and number two? What about the rest of us? 
we'd like to be number one and number two. What's your deal? And Jesus calls them all together. And he says, whoa, time out, guys. You're missing something big here. Okay? You know how the leaders of the Gentiles, the the world leaders, do this. They take their authority and they lord it over people. We've all, all met people who have a little bit of authority and lord it over people, right? Barney Fife kind of people, you know? We've met those people. This is how the world thinks about authority. Jesus says, not so with you. If any of you want to be great, you must be a servant. And then he says, chapter 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man, that's me, Jesus says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is lunacy. I mean, we get so used to hearing a verse like that, we didn't understand how crazy that sounded. An important guy like Jesus didn't come to serve others. He shouldn't have. An important guy like Jesus should have been a leader. Leaders have servants. They don't serve others. It would be like a politician saying, I'm running for office because I want to clean your bathrooms. And if you elect me to office, this country will have the cleanest bathrooms in the entire world. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. Jesus didn't come as an arrogant, self-seeking ruler. He put others first. He served. That's the point of the cross. And what's more, God delights in service. God delights in this. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And a voice, this is back uh, when Jesus was baptized. So a little bit before Mark chapter 10. And uh, he was baptized at the beginning of his ministry. And after he's baptized, a voice from heaven says, This is my son, whom I loved, with him I am well pleased. God knew the plan. He knew that he'd become one of us in Jesus, and he was pleased with that. God takes pleasure in giving his life away. When I was a, I mean, because really we say, whoa, you'd think that the father would go, you know, okay, wait, 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 wait. this servant thing, if you're my son, that's embarrassing. Uh, I have great plans for you, and so Jesus, knock off the whole servant thing. Like, I remember when I was coaching Little League, um, every, it seems like every parent who puts their kid in Little League has aspirations of their kid, you know, being the next uh, great player, you know, the next Albert Pujols. And so, you know, they put him in Little League, and, you know, you got this seven-year-old running out in right field, and, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm watching, and I'm coaching, and this kid's out in right field, and he's picking his nose, and he's looking at the sky, and, and he's drifting out, and and, you know, and here's, here's this dad and the bo- watching his son and he keeps yelling at his son, pay attention, pay attention. And the kid doesn't even want to be there. And he's out there and the ball is hit and the kid's too busy picking his nose and thinking about what the clouds look like. And the ball lands right next to him and dribbles past him and the kid doesn't even know it. And so everyone's shouting and the dad's screaming at his child. Get the ball! Get the ball! Turn around and get the ball! Just screaming at him. I wanted to just go sock the dad, you know? And the kid finally realizes it, and he runs back, and he gets the ball. But by the time he even picks it up, the other kid has circled the bases for a home run. And at some point, the dad just stops screaming, and he just hangs his head. I'm so disappointed in my son. I had such great plans for him. And he's a failure. 
that is not what God does in Jesus. God says, this is my son, and the plan is for him to sacrifice through service. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. I knew another dad whose son was in um, the outfield making grass angels. I mean, it was awesome, just making grass angels out there. <laughs> like, and that dad just said, you know, son, I get it. This is not your thing. We are going to go find something that is your thing because I love you and I'm well pleased in you. That's God's plan for the son. He is well pleased in the plan. It was the plan from the beginning. God's passionate about giving his life away. He's always been, and Jesus came to be a suffering servant. The Father is well pleased with Jesus. How did Jesus give his life away? Not just in death, but all throughout his life. If you just look at the life of Jesus, you see that he came to give his life away. He came at the incarnation. At the incarnation, Jesus gave up his rights and privileges as God. He set them aside. He sacrificed in the incarnation. If you happen to watch our Christmas DVD that we sent out to families uh, on Christmas Day, remember I talked about Philippians chapter 2 and this incarnation, this great sacrifice that God made for us, even in the incarnation. And then we have the temptation. If you think of Jesus sitting in the wilderness, have, having not eaten for 40 days, and Satan comes to tempt him, and Jesus could have taken the easy way out. He could have said, you know what, Satan, you're right. I have the power to turn that stone into bread, and I can misuse my power, and I can do this for my glory, and I can do it now. We can go up to the temple, and I can fall off, and the angels can catch me, and the whole world can recognize how great I am. I can take the easy way out. I'll bow before you, Satan, and you'll just give me the kingdoms of the entire world. He didn't. He sacrificed. In his teaching, he sacrificed. Jesus taught to the point of exhaustion. He gave of himself. And people were completely not appreciative. (laughs) I mean, it's, you know, I love the story when Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee and he goes over and he's teaching and, and, uh, you know, the disciples say, Jesus, you've got to send these people home because we don't have enough food. A year's wage wouldn't feed all these people. And Jesus, you know, takes the five loaves and two fishes and he splits them and whoosh, everyone's fed and they're great. And so Jesus hops back in the boat. He walks in the water. He comes back to the other side of the lake. In the meantime, the people, the crowds had run all the way around the lake and were waiting for him. Not to hear his teaching. They wanted more food. Come on, Jesus, give it up. Let's go. I would write them all off. I'd say, you know what? You ungrateful people, you're done. Let's go. Jesus doesn't do that. He gives of himself. He sacrifices. In his miracles, he gave his time to people. He touched the people that were untouchable. He loved the people that no one else would love. He sacrificed. He gave his life away. To his disciples, he continually trained them, even when they were stubborn and didn't get it. He continued to train them. He gave his life away to them. In ministry, he gave his life away to a ministry that he built. And then he ascends to heaven and freely gives that ministry to his disciples. What? No, 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 Jesus. You built this thing, this ministry, with sweat and tears. I mean, you you need to hang around a little bit and enjoy the fruits of it. No, no, Jesus gave it away. Because that's what Jesus is about. And then ultimately Jesus died so that we 
could live. You see, Jesus gave his life away in so many different ways. And the gospel's foundation is due to the fact that God is a God who is passionate about giving his life away. If we delight in Jesus, we should delight in the things that bring him delight. If we delight in Jesus, we should delight in giving our lives away. We really don't have a choice. If we want to call ourselves followers of Jesus, we have to delight in the things he takes delight in. We have to give our lives away. So God is passionate about giving his life away, and it's the foundation. So today's message is the first of six, and so it's really a foundational message. Uh, Today is not the rah, 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 everyone go out and serve, you know, find a, a ministry and go serve. If we do that, we miss the whole point. We have to understand this foundation that we serve a God who gave his life away. If we don't get that, if we don't get God's delight and passion, then we serve and we get service all wrong. We get service out of duty. We get service out of, well, Pastor Dave said that I should be serving somewhere, so I feel guilty. So what's the least thing on the list that takes the least effort that I can do, and I'll do that? Or I'll do this, but somebody better appreciate it, because I'm really suffering here. I mean, that's what we get, right? If we don't understand that we serve because God is passionate about serving, it should change our attitude. The entire point of this foundational message is an attitude check. What's my attitude in service? So how do we give away our lives? Do we go find a cross? Would it be like in the Philippines where they actually do live crucifixion reactments and put the nails actually in their arms? I mean, is that what we do? Here's some suggestions. First of all, you need to know that it's the rest, the answer to this question is sort of the rest of the series. So I'm forcing you all to come for the next five weeks so you can hear the answer to these questions. And so uh, in some ways, I'm just teasing you. But uh, in terms of attitude, how do we give our lives away? Well, let, think back to Jesus' life again. I, I talked through the different aspects of Jesus' life, and I talked about how he in his life gave his life away to others. Think through this, if our attitude reflects that, what that means to us. First of all, think about the incarnation, where God, in the second person of the Trinity, gave up his rights and privileges to become a human being. Think about that. When was the last time you gave up your rights for someone else? When was the last time you gave up a right or a privilege for someone else? In America, we love our rights. Our rights in the Constitution. And and there are rights granted in the Constitution, no doubt. And I'm not saying we shouldn't protect those. I'm not saying any of that. Just when was the last time you voluntarily gave up a right for somebody? You gave up a privilege for someone. That's the kind of attitude that Christ exhibited. He was passionate about it. Think about the temptation where Jesus could have taken the easy way out in the wilderness with Satan. Most of us give in to temptation. We have a temptation come in our life and we go, oh, this temptation's too much. You know, pizza. That's just, no one should be expected to say no to pizza, right? I mean, we have any temptation in our life and go, oh, no, 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 no. It's okay because I deserve it. When was the last time we could take the easy way out, but don't? In Jesus' teaching, he gave of himself to the point of exhaustion. Maybe you're not a teacher. Have you ever loved someone so much that it completely exhausted you? (laughs) 
Yeah, I know, we just came off the holidays, right? <laughs> Some of you know, yes, it's called my family. They completely exhaust me. Have you ever loved someone that much to the point of exhaustion? How about in his miracles, Jesus gave his time to people. He touched the unlovable. Do you spend time with people that make you uncomfortable? In his disciples, he continually trained them. Have you ever thought about training someone? Forming a relationship with them to help them grow spiritually? Jesus did it. It's an attitude of giving his life away. In his ministry, Jesus built a ministry, and then he handed it over to disciples. Have you ever built in relationally to someone to pass on ministry? Is it hardwired? It should be giving our lives away. If we love Jesus, we should be passionate about the things he is passionate about. And all throughout his life, he gave his life away. So we look at Jesus, how he gave his life away, and we can say, okay, this is how I should give my life away. Now, when we look at our attitude, I mean, this problem is that we might be tempted to think of service as a duty, like I talked about before. And some of us would go, be tempted to go, you know, again, just think more positively about service and you'll enjoy it. So don't think about how much you hate it. Think about some, something good about it. And eventually, if you think enough good things about it, you'll, you'll believe good things about it. And, you know, this, that's not the answer to delighting in the things God delights in. We only develop an attitude of giving our lives by loving others more. We love others more because Jesus loved others more. We don't give our lives away because we have to. We do it because we want to have the same passions that Jesus has. This is what I'm talking about. This is why we start with the God who gave his life away. Because if we don't understand that it's God's desire to give his life away, we'll never have the proper foundation for us to give our life away. Oswald Chambers said this. I love Oswald Chambers. He said, a long, long time ago, he said, once the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, we deliberately begin to identify ourselves with Jesus' interests and purposes in others' lives. Read the last of the quote with me. I put it up here. It's good. And Jesus has an interest in every individual person. We have no right in Christian service to be guided by our own interests and our own desires. In fact, this is one of the greatest tests of our relationship with Jesus Christ. The delight of sacrifice is that I lay down my life for my friend, Jesus. I don't throw my life away, but I willingly and deliberately lay it down for him and his interests in other people. So the God who gave his life away radically transforms our understanding of how we should give our life away. Joy Greer is going to come right now, and I asked Joy to share a little bit about God's challenge to her to give her life away. And um, I've, Joy, I get the privilege of being in a life group with Jason and Joy, and it's just been really fun for me to see how God is changing uh, Joy and changing all the members of our life group. It's pretty fun to do this journey together, and all of us will be changed. And, and so I know a little bit about Joy's uh, story, and I just asked her a little bit to share, share about that. Um, Dave approached me and asked me to talk about giving my life away. And at first I was like, well, I don't give my life away. I still don't think I give my life away. But um, 
the children and I, we read a lot of books about missionaries all over the world, and um, those are people who give their lives away. Those are people who live in um, unfavorable conditions and eat junky food and things I would never even look at and um, love the unlovable and touch the untouchable and um, risk their lives for the gospel. Um, So those are the people that are giving their lives away, and I don't feel like I do that at all. But um, So I was thinking about it, and I kind of shared a little bit at Life Group about my past year, and um, I've had an excellent 2011, or I had an excellent 2011. Um, God transformed my heart, and this year that's kind of been my theme for this past year was transformation and then extravagance. Um, He poured out his extravagant love into my life. Um, He transformed my heart. Um, uh, It started, the year started with me saying that I was committing to being in his word every day. I started the the tour um, that Marcia was doing. And um, in doing that, God just um, exploded my heart um, and gave me a passion and gave me um, a desire to want to serve him and serve his people. He um, transformed my heart to see God's people the way he sees them and to love on them the way they need to be loved on. And if you know anything about me, then you know that this is a big deal because um, I'm often quoted as saying that I don't have a compassion gland. Um, I say that often. I've said that often. Um, And while I still think I only have a little bit of one, the point is that God gave me one this past year. Um, And it's just become a passion of mine. So the past year um, has also been marked with the adoption of our son, Asher. And um, through that, God gave me a glimpse of how much he loves me and how I'm redeemed and how we are all redeemed. And um, just an amazing journey. I can't even put into words still to this day um, that, that journey and our, job, our adoption journey. And as you know, it happened quickly and um, crazily, and it was all God. And I don't deserve that. I don't deserve that child. I don't deserve any of my children. Um, But God poured out his love into my life in extravagant ways. He showed up big time in our adoption journey. Um, First 24 hours I was down there, well, first week, I guess. I was down there by myself, and um, it it was just amazing how God showed up and um, how God loved on me, and how we brought that amazing little boy home. So um, that was the extravagant part of my year. Um, And I say all this to say that God just transformed me this past year. Um, And I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not done. I'm still pretty messed up. But God loves me enough to work on me. And I, I appreciate that. I, I'm grateful for that. Um, there's this quote that's been rolling around in my head for the last couple of weeks, and it's, um, um, those who knew me then wouldn't believe my life now. Those who know me now wouldn't believe my life then. And to this I say thank you, Jesus, because my life is different and totally changed. God's changed my heart and is continuing to transform me. Um, I love him more, and I see him more. I see him more in the hearts of the people that I interact with, and I see him more in the faces of the people I serve. Um, and I see him more in my children and in my friends and my family and stuff. So, um, 
So am I giving my life away? I don't know, it's still a question. I hope I'm giving my life away. Um, I hope that I'm giving up my life so that I can reflect his. I hope I'm giving away, giving up the old joy for the new joy. And I hope that when I look back on 2012, that I will say that I gave up, gave up my life a little bit more. Now, Dave also wanted me to talk about, from the practical standpoint, and this I struggled with because I don't want to stand up here and talk about what we do. But um, as a family, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> as a family, it is one of our um, goals to serve. And it started out as a goal. It's become a passion. Um, so in a practical aspect, how we live that out, we, um, the kids and I teach um, ESOL classes to the refugees at the um, United States Committee for Refugees and Immigrants. And that kind of got birthed out of a a friend talking about it, and I was looking for an opportunity to serve with my kids. So we teach um, we teach those immigrants, and it's amazing. It's um, amazing to look into those people's faces who have nothing, who came to this country with nothing, um, can't speak any any English, and um, their faces light up when you shake their hand or you tell them to have a nice day, and they don't understand a word you said, but <laughs> their faces light up. Um, so that is an awesome opportunity that we have, and the kids get to do that with me. And we also, when we were in Alabama getting Asher, we stayed at Ronald McDonald House. And so in staying there, which they were awesome to us, um, we've started serving at the Ronald McDonald House here. So um, we're taking meals to them and hopefully getting to um, talk to the families that are staying there and pray with them and, um, you know, spurring them on and, and God and giving them hope. Um, and then also, I guess in a less formal way, um, there's a neighbor in my neighborhood that I've kind of adopted, I guess would be the word. I don't know. Um, she's, um, she's in our lives and, um, I watch her kids. I hang out with her. I serve her in whatever way I can. Um, but not only that, I let her be in my life and I let her walk journeys with me. She walked through this whole adoption thing with us which I think is another reason that it played out the way it played out. But um, she has been in our lives, and we've been in our lives, and she's starting to ask questions and see things and see how people, like our life group served us so amazingly during the adoption process, and she has been a witness to that and still can't believe it. Um, So just practical ways. That's how our family's doing it. I would encourage you that um, to find what you're passionate about, and to find what your gifts are. God doesn't just give you those for no real reason. Um, so find those things and then figure out how those work in to what God has for you. Um, oh, I have a great quote in my head and I can't remember it right now. It talks about how when, you, when your passion meets God's, um, the world's need, that's where God, that's where, you're, that's where you're at the center of God's will. That's where you need to be. So, so look at your passions, look at what um, you're gifted at, and look at what's in your life and who's in your life and, you know, what keeps coming up in your life and what has blessed you and things like that for a more practical way to learn to serve. So, thank you. Thanks, Joy. You know, pa- passion for people, passion for this world starts with God's passion, God's passion to give his life away. And, and I just appreciate so much her sharing about kind of God has, that passion has gripped her heart. 
And so one thing that I want you to do to take away from here today is not, oh man, I feel guilty. I need to go find 17 ways to serve. No, the opposite. You should walk out of here today simply with great joy, knowing that you serve a God who wants to give his life away. It should change the way you look at this entire day, this entire week, knowing that your God is that kind of God. Pray with me and we'll close. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you gave your life away to us. God, it's simply our desire to be passionate about the things you're passionate about. To delight in the things you delight in. Do this work in our lives today. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.